Welcome to Out of the Question, a podcast that looks behind some common questions and uncovers the question behind the question while providing real solutions for biblical world and life view. Your co-hosts are Andrea Schwartz, a teacher and mentor, and Pastor Charles Roberts. Thanks for joining us again for this episode of the Out of the Question podcast. Last week, Charles was supposed to be with us, but there's this thing called Hurricane Ian that swept through his neck of the woods. You doing okay there in South Carolina? Well, we are in the part of South Carolina I'm in. It turned out to be not quite the uh, major threat it was for some other parts of the state, like along the coastline in Charleston, Myrtle Beach area. But uh, we just got some wind and dark clouds and a little bit of rain. But the uh, the storm went far east of us. So we should keep those folks in prayer who uh, didn't fare quite so well. And I think hurricanes and tornadoes and such remind us that as much as we think we're in control of things, these are examples of we're not because who directs the hurricane's path, who directs the tornado's path. Obviously, we would say it's God Almighty. Exactly. Speaking of God Almighty, he also gives us guidance in terms of how we interact with each other, especially in the area of transgressions and forgiveness and repentance and those kind of, I'll call them big ticket issues. That is the focus of our discussion today. The question is, why is it so hard to forgive? That That is, that is our question. And the interesting part about this is that there's a lot of things that we have the opportunity to do from the time we are very little. And we have the opportunity to forgive because we live in a fallen world. If you come into the world in a family, which most of us do, count on the fact that there are going to be trespasses and sins. And yet I've discovered, and you can tell me this more as a pastor, it seems that people really stumble at this point. Is that your experience? Yeah, I mean, it varies, but uh, yeah, this is a big one. And, you know, the interesting thing is, is that uh, it's this is an issue that revolves around the subject of love and compassion. Uh, You know, a lot of people have this profoundly unbiblical understanding of a term or a phrase like unconditional love. That is not anything taught in scripture. And well, at least I'll plan to say a little bit more about that as we go along. But I have, as a pastor for about 30 years now, pastored a number of different churches in different parts of the country. And yeah, you're right. This is a, a common problem, especially among God's people. It shouldn't be, but it is. And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that we're surrounded by humanistic influences within schools. Since many people went to state schools, we're very much a media-driven society. So if you see depictions of what forgiveness should be or what wrongs are unforgivable, it's very easy for people to become a product of their time. And even within the church... It takes some really good biblical study and exegesis to realize how many of the cultural adages that we have about forgiveness you won't even find in the scripture. That's correct. I I think part of the problem is that we have this idea, as you said, it's promoted from a a non-biblical standpoint, 
And I, it, it's kind of irrelevant now because she's not on TV anymore, but I, I've used the example of Oprah Winfrey's version of forgiveness, you know, or Oprah Winfrey's version of love. Uh, it, it's grounded in sentiment and um, not grounded in, in God's law word. But maybe to sort of get things going in the part that I want to talk about at any rate, you know, we have, for example, in Second Chronicles 19.2, Second Chronicles 19.2, I'm going to read this from a slightly paraphrased version. It's about Jehu, the son of Hanani, and he's asking King Jehoshaphat, he says, Why do you help wicked people and love those who hate Yahweh? The Lord's anger is directed toward you because you've done this. Now think about what he's saying there. He says, well, you're helping the wicked and you're loving those who hate the Lord. Well, you know, if you have this non-biblical view of so-called unconditional love, well, it doesn't matter. You're going to love everybody. But then the point we come to in the Lord's teachings in Luke chapter 6, verse 27, and a lot of people say, well, isn't that what he's saying? The Lord says, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. So isn't that a prescription for just automatic forgiveness and automatic unconditional love? Well, no. And the key point there is the Lord is saying we are to love our enemies personally and and. We are to do good to those who hate us, people who oppose us personally, I meaning our inter- interpersonal relations, as I understand that. So th- that's not on the one hand, it's not a carte blanche that says that we have to love and promote th- th- those who hate God's law and his word. Some people have that crazy idea, but it is an injun- injunction that we are to forgive and be compassionate toward those within the circle of the household of faith whether it be in your family or your church, who have wronged us, because that's where the field, the uh, the interplay of repentance and forgiveness is to take place. We can't do this on our own. And so if we don't have the power of the Holy Spirit working in us, we will have no motivation whatsoever to seek forgiveness. Right. And I think that's a very important distinction, because if you take it the way people often take it, it would mean that God's law and God's justice doesn't count. In other words, um, whatever happens, you're supposed to say, don't worry about it. That's cool. Right. But the word forgiveness, I think, has been cheapened. We miss the part that the whole message of the gospel centers around forgiveness. But if you don't ask the question, forgiveness from what, then quite frankly, the second person of the Trinity taking on human flesh seems to be a waste of time. And forgiveness, at least as I understand the biblical doctrine, is premised on repentance. So if we're dealing with interpersonal relationships and someone has wronged me or you personally, we can take an attitude in our minds that, okay, that hurt, they shouldn't have done that, but you know, I'm not going to dwell on my anger or my, you know, desire for revenge. I shouldn't feel that way. Understandably, maybe to some extent I do, but I'm just going to, I'm going to reframe this. I'm just going to move forward. And, you know, hopefully the Lord will drive them to seeking repentance. I mean, forgiveness really can't be given unless there's a request and a desire for it to be given to someone. So, I mean, why, why would you forgive me of something for which I've never come to you and said, you know, I've wronged you in this. Would you forgive me? 
And I think this goes back to something I've harped on, and I, I will actually put it, I have harped on, and that is saying you're sorry isn't not, is not the same thing as saying please forgive me. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, and not that you shouldn't be sorry if you hurt someone, but it really says I feel bad that you feel bad, whereas forgiveness is I wronged you, and I'm asking you to forgive me for my wrong against you. Now, one's easy to say, and the other is much harder to say, because what we want to say is, well, I'll forgive you if you forgive me, or I'll admit I was wrong if you admit you were wrong. And it seems to me that, uh, to use a chess term, then you have a stalemate. (laughs) Right. I remember many, many years ago now, when I was still in seminary, um, I was speaking to a pastor who had graduated from the same seminary, and he and I were in the same denomination at the time. This is before I was ordained. Um, And I'm going to be purposely obscure with a little bit of this, but there was uh, something that took place in his presbytery that sort of impacted his church. It wasn't directly related to it, but he wasn't in favor of it. And I remember having a discussion with this man. Um, Again, I was still a seminary student. I'll never forget the words he said to me about what his presbytery, you know, for those of you who aren't sure about that, that's the regional grouping in a Presbyterian or Reformed church, the regional grouping of churches. His presbytery had taken this action. He said, I will never forgive them for what they did. I've never, I, and I've never forgot <laughs> that, <laughs> right. that statement. Now, you know, I don't know. Maybe he had gone to them and said, you know, this is not right. You shouldn't do this. I, I suspect he did. But, you know, that's even if some, even if no one ever asks for forgiveness, uh, that isn't a, a license for us. Now, we're, again, we're talking within the household of faith, uh, whether against the family or the church. That, is, that isn't a warrant for us to hate that person and, and to be hard hearted toward them. But I'm going to interject here what usually happens among Christians or people who grew up in a Christian home. And so everybody would have labeled them as Christian is that it becomes easy to say, well, then I'm not obligated to do this because I don't think they really were a Christian. You know, if they were really a Christian, they wouldn't have wronged me. And we have this um, view that because we're hurt, it means we're right. Now, we can be hurt for a lot of different reasons, but I think this is what I want to unpack in this discussion. How do we determine whether or not a debt, as it's described in the Lord's Prayer in Matthew, forgive us our debts, or in Luke, forgive us our trespasses or forgive us our sins, how do we view that in terms of interpersonal relationships because there are plenty of the parables that talk about forgiveness and forgiveness on a very personal level. And in those parables, we don't have a Geiger counter that says, okay, this party is truly a believer and this party was not. So so how do we actually do this in day-to-day life? I prefer to follow the guidance that has been enshrined in the confessional documents that I subscribe to as a pastor, the Westminster Confession of Faith and Catechisms, because I think that especially the Shorter Catechism gives us a, a helpful biblical guide to answer a question like, for example, what is repentance? Well, it, repentance means that we have a sincere sorrow and, and regret for our sins, but then 
and to use the words of the catechism, we endeavor after a new obedience. So when somebody comes to me and says, I need you to forgive me because of X, Y, and Z, or I say the same thing to them because of whatever, then in the biblical sense, that's saying, I understand I did something wrong to you. I regret it. And it won't happen again. I'm going to do my best to make sure this never occurs because it was something that shouldn't happen. So I think that's a good guideline about knowing where forgiveness should be forthcoming and what it is that should generate it coming between Christians. I mean, if I'm not really sincere in my asking for forgiveness, if it comes across as manipulative or something I'm doing for some sort of strategic advantage, then that I think that would be very obvious. It should be if a person you know, studies God's law word and walks in his spirit. So there are many components here, right? If I have wronged you and I've damaged something on your person or your belongings, the Bible prescribes restitution. And then when restitution is made, then there needs to be forgiveness because the transaction, if you will, is complete. However, sometimes the wrongs are not quite so tangible. They're in what's it could be involved is something that was said or something that should have been said and wasn't said or a breach because of an occurrence. And one party thinks it's totally justifiable not to have anything to do with the other. And the other one says, well, okay, we can disagree, but we don't have to have this separation. And I think that's where it gets difficult because we are emotional creatures. There's nothing wrong with being an emotional creature. So sometimes it's going to hurt. If I punch you in the nose, it's going to hurt and it might even bleed. So that doesn't mean that you have to discount the fact that there was hurt there. Correct? Correct. Yes. And, you know, if we can extend that into maybe some concrete examples, something for which one Christian might need to ask another Christian's forgiveness for, is say gossip. And, and I don't know the dynamics of that. I mean, obviously, if, if a person is being gossiped about and they don't know it, you know, I guess that's one thing. And if you go to that person and you say, look, you know, you're not aware of this, but I feel very convicted that I should be telling you this. I made a few comments and I realized that was wrong of me. And I just want to let you know. Uh, I think that builds amazing walls of, uh, of compassion and love between believers. Or if the person happens to hear, well, I overheard so-and-so say this about that person. And, you know, they, then they're aware that somebody has spread malicious talk about them. Or, you know, it may be something like a business deal between believers in the church. Um, there, there are all kind of avenues where things go sideways. And, you know, the common factor in all these is a failure on in, in one segment to obey and, and follow God's law word say, in the area of guarding our mouths or how we transact our business, honest money, etc., or in uh, doing what God's word tells us in the area of recognizing our sins and how we may have wronged each other and seeking that forgiveness and uh, having that spirit of repentance about us. Yes. On a financial sense, we can understand forgiving debts, right? If I owe somebody $3,000, and the person says, I'm going to cancel the debt and we can either recategorize it as a gift or we'll just say it's canceled. 
most people will say, okay, that I had a $3,000 debt. Now it's zero. So that becomes very obvious financially, but indebtedness, indebtedness to of parents and children. There's a debt there. And sometimes the children don't recognize it. I know for myself, I certainly didn't until I became an adult and a parent to realize that I was indebted to my parents for many things. And looking back on some of my defiance and rebellion, I realized that that debt was never going to be paid for with money because that's not why my parents did what they did. But when we start talking about trespasses and sins against each other, I think it's important to remember that all sin is primarily a sin against God and the offended person has to view it in that sense rather than just make it a personal affront. And I think, again, a helpful guide to that is if we go through uh, the summary of God's laws given to us in the Ten Commandments. And if you, whether you use something like the larger or shorter catechism or some other guide to understanding uh, what those laws mean, or even better, uh, the Institutes of Biblical Law is one of the most thorough and perfect uh, guidelines and, and written from a human hand about what these laws mean and how they apply. But a statement like, thou shalt bear, not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Okay, we can understand that in a very summary way, but it has many, many different applications. And once we understand the um, how that that prohibition about not bearing false witness, and then the corollary of it, of being truthful about our neighbor, how it radiates out in a thousand directions. And then we can understand how even the, the seemingly minor things are a violation of God's law if, if we're heading down that path. And so, therefore, we need to be constantly, you know, I, I start to say constantly in an attitude of seeking forgiveness and repentance. I think that can be carried too far. We've talked in this podcast and others, you know, with uh, the Chalcedon Foundation, even Dr. Rastoni himself talked about the problems with sort of a super pietistic, you know, uh, hyper pietistic attitude. And we see this in some segments and have seen it historically in some segments of the Reformed faith where you're just constantly kind of, you know, like the old flagellants of the medieval era with the whipping themselves on the back and all that. And you never get anywhere. But, you know, the, the premise of seeking forgiveness and moving forward, being repentant and seeking forgiveness is so we can move forward. So we can be about kingdom building and doing the work that the Lord has called us to do. And I think that's a really important factor in all of this. If what we're looking for is somebody to, you know, come down on their knees, bow down and say, you were right and I was wrong. I don't think that has a lot to do with seeking the kingdom. We can, we can magnify it and say, Oh yes, this person has violated God's law. Therefore they violated the kingdom. And I think that becomes a bit of a pretension on the offended parties, you know, perspective. But I think if you look at, I like to call them the four R's. Oftentimes I'm called upon to help mediate situations. And the first thing I want to know is, are the parties repentant? And is there a desire for reconciliation? And if those two things are in place and they actually need the help of other people, which you can look at this as a Matthew 18 sort of thing, then it's good to sort out, right? First of all, getting people talking 
and face to face is like the first criteria. If they won't even go face to face, then it's very hard to even look at the idea of reconciliation. And then, of course, there might be the need for restitution. And then what you want is a restoration. Now, to think that after a lot of water's gone under the bridge, people who were bosom friends are going to be bosom friends again. I don't think that's the requirement. I don't think that's even oftentimes realistic because time has passed. People have gotten older. But I think instead of forgiving when someone doesn't want forgiveness or doesn't ask for it, I think that the believer has to have a readiness to forgive that when and if that time comes, instead of saying, well, it took you long enough to be able to say, of course I would. I've been forgiven much more by the Lord Jesus Christ than you're asking me. So that readiness, maybe that's my fifth R, a readiness to forgive is really important rather than saying you must forgive before there's even been the discussion. Yeah, I think this goes back to what you were saying earlier um, in quoting the Lord's Prayer about forgiving us our debts as we forgive our debtors. I think another component to this that can be highly troublesome when the process of repentance and forgiveness has taken place between two believers is for the one who extended the forgiveness to the one who was sincerely repentant than to constantly revisit that, you know. Mm-hmm. You remember about a year ago, you know, yeah, I know you forgive my death. That was really something. I can't believe you did that. You know, no, 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 no. That's not the path that you should be walking. That's not forgiving the debt. You know, that that's constantly calling the debt to mind, which we're not supposed to do. But I, yeah, I, I can tell you in many church contexts that I've been in uh, throughout the decades that this, again, like I said, is like a pro- is a big problem for some folks. I mean, the church is not perfect. If you don't believe it, read the New Testament, all the things that were <laughs> happening in the churches Paul was writing to. Um, it, it's just amazing how, the, the, but the Lord in his wisdom chose to populate his kingdom with fallible human beings who are regenerated by his grace and spirit. And so that's part of our process of growing as believers. See, I used the term earlier, reframe. And I think that can be a helpful term in, in the sense that, okay, let's say someone hasn't sought forgiveness as you were talking about. Well, again, I have a choice to make. Am I going to walk around, you know, twisted up into a knot, red faced and angry because that person still hasn't asked me to forgive them when they, they might not even be aware, you know, especially if we're talking about non-believers. So the choice that you as a believer have to make is how can I take this situation and put it in a context to where I can keep moving forward and not be just completely dragged under with anger and resentment and feelings of revenge. And that will happen as one is in prayer about the situation. Um, Having experienced it myself and also being on the doling out portion, hearing later from people that said, that really hurt when you did this, or this affected me in a way you never knew. What people want to do, Charles, is give themselves the benefit of the doubt. They don't always want to give the other person the benefit of the doubt. I remember somebody I knew used to say, if somebody hits you on the shoulder, you get to say how hard it is. They don't, right? Because Mm -hmm. you experienced the way you did. So if somebody said, you hurt me, and the other person says, no, I didn't, that's back to that stalemate where you're never going to resolve things. 
And so some people, and, and let's face it, it happens, don't want to resolve things. They would like to keep the breach in place because either they're lazy or they don't want to be bothered or they don't particularly like you. Whatever the situation is, doesn't mean that you can't learn from it and that Romans 8 doesn't come into play that says God's going to work this together for the good for you if you love him and you're called. So I imagine we could look back and realize that, yeah, various people have wronged us and it's not resolved. But if you're not going to do the same thing with yourself and look back on potentially there are people you've wronged and you weren't aware of it, but don't you wish they would have come and told you? And that's one of the things that I have really embraced. If I have something against somebody, I'll say to them, and my phrase I like to use is the fence is broken. We need to fix the fence. Sometimes people don't know that they've broken down the fence, but if you're not willing to talk about it and resolve it, then I I think, as I said earlier, you missed the point that your transgressions, your debts, your sins were of such a magnitude that your entire lifetime couldn't pay for them. And even when you were still his enemy, God saved you. So if you are walking in the realm of God's spirit and God's power and someone has wronged you, um, that's going to be a problem. You're, you're going to sense however dramatic the wrong was, it's going to be a problem. It's going to be like a splinter that has to be removed. And so maybe you go to that person and say, you know, as you just referred to, whenever you did that, that really hurt. So if that person, that, and again, this is why the, the context of within the household of God's people is so important. That person also who is a spirit led believer they're going to say, well, you know, I realized that at the time. I'm sorry. I, I didn't apologize for it then. I realized now it was wrong of me to do that. I, I really appreciate you bringing that forward. And then you, you both come to that really marvelous point of, like you said, restoration. And there can be a moving forward. But let me ask you a question about this that I've pondered. I'd be interested in your response. So let someone, let's say someone will say intentionally wrongs you in a business deal whether it's, you know, selling you uh, some household item or something bigger, whatever. And this is a believer. And you realize that you have been sort of taken for a ride, so to speak, by this transaction. But then they come to you and they say, you know what? I really, I realize I, I shouldn't have charged you that much. Or I shouldn't I have included this or whatever. And I'm, I want to make this right. I'm very sorry. And they do. So the question is, are you going to have any hesitancy about entering into a business transaction with that person in the future? Well, since entering into a business transaction, as far as I know, is not a mandatory command in scripture, right? you can restore the relationship and say, you know what? We're good here. But that doesn't mean if you're now looking for a plumber and this man's work was not satisfactory or he cut corners. The fact that he made things right is good, but it doesn't mean necessarily. That's why I said earlier, you don't have to end up being bosom friends, but you must treat him lawfully. You must treat everybody lawfully and that you kind of clear the slate. So if you look at it in terms of a financial obligation, if this person's shady business deal costs you a couple of thousand dollars. Well, scripture actually has a prescription. If it was intentional, 
there's restitution and that like whatever the damage was. And then you add some additionally. Now you may say that to a person and they say, well, no way am I going to do that? I, I don't subscribe to that because you can ask forgiveness, Charles, to people who aren't believers. As a matter of fact, it's probably a greater testimony to a living faith. And they'll go, wow, he didn't have to do that. But it's important to instruct. So when I've had issues with people, I usually say, this is the law of God that was transgressed. And you should understand that because it was primarily a sin against God. Jesus says, whatever you do to the least of my brothers, you do unto me. So a non-believer hurting a believer is going to have consequences because Jesus is saying it's like the person did it to him, right? So you're telling somebody, you know, you need to learn here because it's not just me you offended, you also offended God. And it doesn't have to be done with, you know, fire and brimstone. It's important to be gracious. You can tell somebody you've sinned and do it in a gracious way. Nathan was a great example when he went to David. Um, he didn't start off with, you lousy sinner. Let me tell you where you're wrong. He basically, you might say, warmed him up to going back to the idea of what justice really is. So I think it's as much an instructional time, but I also think that we shouldn't um, have a laundry list of requirements before we're going to forgive someone. Our readiness to forgive could be, you know what, that was then, this is now, and there's no real way to make up for what happened, so let's move forward. And I think that's appropriate. And I think, too, that the um, the person, say, who was in the wrong, and we'll continue with the example that I used of some sort of business transaction, and they went and sought, they were truly repentant and sought forgiveness. I think, again, assuming both parties are walking with the Lord and are true believers, then the one who initiated the faulty transaction and sought the forgiveness, he or she will understand that part of that process is not is, is is the fact that going forward they may not get that person's business ever again that's just something they take onto themselves and realize you know this is a part of what i chose to do in wronging this person and so i'm not going to assume that by offering you know by repenting and asking forgiveness that that automatically means they have to now start doing business with me again and i'm going to hold it against them if they don't no 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 uh, that's not the way it works uh, I think that's part of the process of a person who is truly walking with the Lord. They'll understand that this is a consequence. You know, we, 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 can, we can be sorry for our sins. We can be truly repentant. We can be forgiven of our sins. But that doesn't mean we are free of the consequences of those sins. Exactly. And it can be even more personal than that. Marriages could have ended because one party was adulterous. And be, because of that, it's legitimate that they have a divorce. It's even a biblically sanctioned divorce in that case, because in a biblical society, adultery would be dealt with a particular way that would be a divorce by death. So they divorce, and then the person really comes to a saving faith and comes back and says, I want to let you know I've wronged you in this particular way, and I acknowledge it. It doesn't mean, okay, now you should marry me again. It's, it's an acknowledgement that there was a breach. And I think the offended party would be, it would be a benefit to say, 
praise God, someone who was lost is now found and can rejoice in that without saying that the old relationship has to resume as it was. Yeah. And again, that's another example of uh, how there are consequences to be dealt with in this whole process. But we are to do uh, take these things onto us, onto ourselves and move forward. That's a part of the process of those R's uh, you were referring to and the restoration part of it. And if we spend too many of our waking hours, you know, contemplating how, well, they should have done this because I, I asked the forgiveness for, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, that's putting us right back on the path that we are, have supposedly have been delivered from. So the dynamics of God's people interacting with each other and the larger picture of Christian reconstruction doing kingdom building work, which is basically living a godly Christian life and following all the teachings of God's law word in every area of life. That if you're doing that, you're kingdom building. The foundation of these things are often these sort of topic, topics that we're talking about. I mean, we in our circles, we like to talk about the big ticket issues, Christian education versus public schools, um, the evils of state governments that are, see themselves as God walking on the earth. And these are important things that we need to be aware of. But if we lose sight of what's taking place on the ground here among we ourselves who are in the household of faith and how we interact, just because we know the uh, the real deal about what's happening in, say, politics and government and education, that doesn't mean that we're living perfect lives in terms of our interactions with each other. Right. And if we aren't if we aren't prepared to recognize that, then it can lead to some serious problems. Our forgiveness is predicated on an undeserved mercy from God towards us. But I don't want people to think, and again, I'm going to draw from a lot of my mentoring situations. There are those I know who, for example, have refused to go to a relative's wedding when the wedding was going to be to unite two homosexuals in marriage. Mm -hmm. Or a relative is getting remarried after having broken up another marriage, and now that person is marrying the person whose marriage she successfully broke up. So I believe it's a correct posture to not participate in something like that. Although the people I'm thinking about, they actually had pastors of who were going to perform the ceremony tell them they were wrong in not forgiving these relatives. And I think that's what we have to say is, where is the wrong committed? If two homosexuals are getting married, they haven't wronged me. Maybe you could say in a societal sense, they wronged me, but not in a personal sense. So I'm not free to forgive that person because their sin is against God. And if they're not repentant of it, then I'm participating in something. And some people could say, oh, you're giving your approval to it because you showed up. And so that's why when we make our decisions on how we'll interact, if we'll interact, it needs to be based on is what's going on here something that I'm in a position to forgive or is the the transgression greater because by conducting what these people are doing, the Bible's clear. They will eliminate themselves from the kingdom of God, from the kingdom of heaven. So we don't want to blur it and say, 
we need to forgive the rapist, we need to forgive the murderer. Those sins were not against us primarily. I think this would be an appropriate place for me to share something that I was reading the other day. In, uh, well, let's see, it's uh, volume two of Faith and Action, the Chalcedon reports that have been collected in these marvelous volumes and republished. And it happens to be on a chapter that uh, was originally published in 1968 by Dr. Rastioni called Unconditional Love. And he's talking about this very issue. And he says those who preach unconditional love are simply trying to disarm godly people in order to have that evil may triumph. But then he says the same is true of the idea of unconditional forgiveness. Forgiveness in the Bible is always conditioned upon true repentance. Unconditional forgiveness is simply the total unconditional toleration of and acceptance of evil. It demands that we accept the criminal, the pervert, the degenerate, the subversive as they are. But to do so means that we must change. We must surrender our laws, faith, religious standards, etc. And he says the demands for unconditional love and unconditional forgiveness are demands for total change on our part, total revolution in society. They are, rea- they are in reality demands that we commit suicide in order that evil may live. I think that's, uh, those are important corrective words because even within the bounds of the household of faith, people have uh, accepted profoundly unbiblical ideas on these topics. I sort of alluded to that earlier in the discussion. So this is a reason why we must be constantly uh, studying God's word. And, you know, when I read these things that uh, Dr. Rastuni wrote, I have to remind myself sometimes that it wasn't just because he has had a library of 18,000 volumes or whatever it was or is. But when you read his early life, I mean, the man as a young man, I mean, he, he constantly was reading God's word from cover to cover. And so when you're truly bathed in the teachings of God's word, and that is the foundation of all of your thought, doesn't make you perfect. But it does mean you're going to start thinking things the way God wants you to think them if uh, you're walking in his spirit. And But if you don't have the information to begin with, you won't know what to think about any of these things. So in a society, even in a, in a Christian uh, in a Christian society or societies or communities of, of majority Christians, if they don't have this foundation and they're actually thinking about things like forgiveness more along humanistic lines, these things sound odd and maybe harsh. But God says, this is what forgiveness looks like. This is what repentance looks like. This is justice. And to follow anything else is a prescription for disaster. And I think to go up to a big ticket thing, that's largely what we're seeing in our society today. The outworking of uh, people pursuing ungodly and unbiblical ideas and a lot of areas, including love and forgiveness. And as you said, that's why it's so important to really be ultra familiar with Scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, the implications of where God blessed, where God punished. And with that understanding, I think whether you're an offended party or an offending party, then it helps you to first and foremost say, okay, was my tran- was, do I have a real transgression here or was I transgressed against? And you don't have to have a false modesty that says, I must have done something wrong. If you can look at it, you can say, okay, I was wronged or I did the wronging. Then you have to ask yourself, do I have a willingness to admit that I had a part in this? Did I say or do something that provoked someone? 
you know, when the scripture tells us not to provoke our children, if you're not going to provoke your children who you have control over, you probably shouldn't provoke other people either. So taking responsibility for what you can take responsibility for and asking God to forgive you for that. And I found that it opens the door for then a softening of the offended parties because I've gone to God and say, you tell me where I've done something that I shouldn't have done. And then I think the next step is to not by agreeing with somebody's sin, but placing it in a perspective. And I think the last couple of years on how our country has been so divided, I think it's an important thing that we put ourselves in other people's shoes and say, well, how could they have come to that conclusion why did they act the way they did? Doesn't mean they're right. Doesn't mean they're wrong. But again, that's the spirit of, if at all possible, I'd like there to be a restoration of a relationship because that's going to be better than a breach in a relationship because we don't know what the future holds. We might actually need each other. Yeah, and I think what this shows is that doing the work the Lord has called us to do, uh, we have to fight that battle on all fronts. You know, if we're, if we're just facing forward and firing in that direction, so to speak, we're not guarding our flank, our rear, whatever, uh, then we'll, we're going to be defeated. We won't succeed. And this is a prime example, I think, of what we're talking about. Um, yes, we need to be concerned about things in larger society, but we have these on the ground interpersonal relationships that are just as important. Otherwise, uh, you know, we wouldn't have as, as much guidance and instruction in God's law about how we interact with each other. You know, the, the, the Ten Commandments themselves, you know, are seen where we, ha- it showed how we react, uh, react and, and interact with the Lord and then how we interact with each other. So if any one of those uh, several things gets out of balance, then we're, we're going to be problematic and not succeeding in the way that the Lord wants us to. Exactly. Exactly. And the one last aspect of this I'd like to discuss is what's the responsibility of believers when they have brothers and sisters who are fighting each other? A lot of people don't want to get involved. Even broaching the subject, they say, well, I don't want to gossip. Well, yeah, gossip is bad, but not helping somebody or helping people who need help is also bad. What I usually advise people is if you actually can be part of the solution, then get involved. But don't get involved if you have one party in the dispute who wants to call you up and tell you everything that was bad about the other people. If you're not part of that solution, then do you really need to know all that? I don't think so. You can certainly pray for them and you can certainly tell people, you know what? I love you. I love this person. It distresses me that you guys are at odds, but I'm not going to take sides. But what I would encourage both of you to do is to go face to face and talk about it. And that process may take days. It might take weeks. It might take months. It might take years, but take a step in that direction. But I think if you get involved and you hear this person's side of the story, and now you're going to hear this person's side of the story, but neither side has said we are asking you to mediate, then I don't think it's a proper um, role to go in and hear because you have to admit you're only hearing 50% of the story when one person tells you. 
and they're going to remember it with all the upset and all the emotion. So in a lot of ways, neither one, neither side could be lying. Either both sides, I should say, are telling you what they experienced. So I always say there's going to be a third perspective and that's God's perspective. Yeah, and I think uh, just to sort of wrap up my own take on that and our larger discussion, uh, what you just said is, uh, is is a good thing to remember. Be a part of the solution, not part of the problem. And if it's not clear to you where you can play that role, then seek more wisdom and guidance before you uh, try to enter into, even with the best of intentions. Uh, because you and I both know of people who um, have had personal disputes and some of those things never got resolved. And that's not to say the people involved in those kind of situations uh, were particularly evil or bad. They're no, no more failing than any of the rest of us. We all have these kind of things. So it's something that we have to continually be reminded of and um, maybe, you know, print out a big piece of paper that just says today I will be part of the solution and not part of the problem. <laughs> right. You know? Right. Instead of watching the morning news or whatever, read yeah. that. And I'll close my part of this by reminding our listeners and ourselves that when Peter asked Jesus, how many times should I forgive? And, you know, seven times, um, 70 times seven was the answer. So rather than saying, okay, I'm going to keep a, a, a catalog here. Okay, we're on 27. Oh, we're now up to 122. I still have more to go. I think what Jesus was saying in its essence was, of course, you would forgive someone who is repentant. But I would draw people's attention to First John where we're told, don't think you have, because now you're in Christ that you've stopped sinning altogether. Because if you say that, you're a liar, right? Because every day we have opportunities and often fall into our temptations and we sin. But there's forgiveness and then there's cleansing. That's what that scripture verse says. He'll forgive us our unrighteous, he'll forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So that cleansing process takes time. That's our sanctification. We're being cleansed. We're being made more holy. And so since if we have a good view of where we're at, my guess is we'll be more merciful to those who've offended us. Are you on the right track here, Charles? You are. And I think that highlights uh, the fact that this is a genuine treasure that we have as believers. You know, if if I've given somebody um, $1,000 say, a prepaid visa card with $1,000 on it. But if they don't know anything about it, if I've given it to them and they just put it aside and never use it and just forget about it, that just have no use to them. And the benefits and the blessings of being reconciled in a, a personal conflict where there has been true repentance and true forgiveness, the unbelieving world doesn't know anything about this. That's why it's always characterized by vengeance and violence and things of that nature. And that's why sooner or later it eventually implodes on itself because of what we're talking about here today. So uh, I think this is as important a discussion as we've had on any other topic, and I would encourage our listeners to uh, follow God's law in this and, again, be part of the solution. Indeed. Well, listeners, thanks for joining us. You can reach us at outofthequestionpodcast at gmail.com, and we look forward to being with you again next time. 
Thanks for listening to Out of the Question. For more information on this and other topics, please visit calcedon.edu.